Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hate waiting a week for the next episode of Radio Rental? Subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus to get early access to episodes, ad-free listening, and bonus scary stories. Visit tenderfootplus.com for details. The following podcast includes scary stories with content that could be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Ah, come in, come in, welcome, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Radio Rental, a video rental shop filled with VHS tapes of the scariest true stories you've ever heard. I am your muse, guru, and host, Terry Carnation. Ah, today is bittersweet. It's the end of this season of Radio Rental, as well as the end of 2023, an altogether mostly horrible year. Good riddance. Bert Bacharach died. So many of my heroes died in 2023. It's heartbreaking. Suzanne Summers, Michael Gambon, Rosalind Carter, for Christ's sake. Damn you, God! Ray Liotta, Richard Roundtree. Oh, the list goes on and on. Uh, anyway, we're all using this time to write down our New Year's resolutions. So that's right, we've got the whole gang here participating. My pet cat, Malachi. Say hi, Malachi. My niece, Susie. Oh, goody, she found the matches again. And our new resident mouse, who I once thought was my dead wife. <laughs> Silly me. Sadly, not my wife, but we have shared some incredible intimacy, nonetheless. Non-physical. Anyway, today we're going to write our 2024 resolutions and cast them into the void, which is that interdimensional hole in the corner of my store, right over there. Say hello, void. Thank you, voidy. I'm gonna void my bowels into the void. Not really, that would be gross. Um, so, well, while we're thinking of ways to better ourselves, how about I put a tape on for you? A new scary story for you to feast upon. <laughs> I can't wait. Here we go. I was in my early 20s. I was looking for adventure. I am a petroleum engineer. I had the opportunity to go to the North Slope of Alaska. I got on with a wireline crew they do kind of the day-to-day -day maintenance for oil and gas wells. They use these big trucks with winches in the back and they have this big spool of cable and they lower tools down into the oil wells and they can do pretty much anything you can think of. They can fix it, they can take measurements, they can survey it. They're the handyman of the oil and gas industry. One of the jobs that we did have was in the Alaska Petroleum Reserve. 
this large, untamed tundra area of the North Slope. You can't move equipment out there in the summer because the tundra is completely melted. It may be permafrost, but on top it's soft and you'll just sink into it. So in the winter, to get out to these really remote areas, they'll build these really long ice roads. The particular well we were going to was about 60 miles away from our main camp. It takes a long time to get out there. The speed limit on those things is 15, 20 miles an hour because it's, it's ice. You can't go very fast. These ice roads, they have guard shacks on either side because there's no cell phone reception. We do have radios that we can communicate with, but they only work up to a certain mileage, maybe five, 10 miles. So when you get out into the middle of these ice roads, there's no communication with the outside world. You're on your own. So these guard shacks, you check in, and then you check out at a, an estimated time. If you don't show up, the guards will radio each other, and then they'll come looking for you, because if you get stuck on an ice road in the middle of winter in Alaska, you could very easily freeze to death. It is remote. It is cold. It's rugged terrain. What we typically wear are specially designed Arctic coats and bibs and overalls and boots. These things are all rated for Arctic conditions, negative 50 degrees. If you don't have it, you might lose a toe. This particular job we were on was pretty uneventful started to go home. We were all burned out after 10 days doing this work. I have three other guys in the pickup with me. Behind us, we have our heavy equipment being driven by a, a semi-truck. And we start our way down the ice road. We stop at the guard shack, check in. It's 60 miles to the next guard shack, so we say, hey, we're going to see you in three hours. We're heading down the road very uneventful. This is the middle of January, so the sun hasn't quite come up yet. You can kind of get a little bit of light from the stars, but it's dark. We're going as slow as we can, so we're not slipping on the ice. Out of nowhere, in our headlights, something kind of pops up in the middle of the road. It's a guy. It's this guy just walking down an ice road in the middle of the tundra, like a zombie from a George Romero movie. He's just shuffling. He's not moving his arms, he's not swinging his arms, he's just shuffling his feet. It's 20 degrees outside, 4 a.m. in the morning. There's no reason this guy should be out here. And what's even weirder is the way he was dressed. He was in jeans, sneakers, and like a hoodie. Almost like you just teleported somebody off the street and just dropped him into the middle of the tundra. Totally not prepared for this kind of environment. Totally out of place. Immediately set off alarm bells in my brain. He had to have been walking for a long distance. There were no other roads that connected onto that. There were no other villages in between it. There, I mean, it was pure just tundra. 
There was no obvious signs of an accident where his snowmobile had tipped over or where he'd actually walked onto the ice road because, you know, with the snow, you should be able to see tracks. This is definitely strange. Why is this guy here? The first thing that comes to my brain is he's probably a local Inuit that has been out hunting. Maybe his snowmobile is broken down and he's just trying to get back to the guard shack. That seemed like the most plausible explanation. It wasn't too unnerving to see him, but we were definitely concerned. You don't just see people in the middle of nowhere Alaska at this kind of environment. He didn't look cold. In those kind of temperatures, you can tell that something looks cold, you know, like there's a little bit of frost in it. He looked like he had just stepped out of a house or something. He didn't seem like he was cold. He didn't act like he was cold. Like he just popped out of nowhere in the middle of the tundra. As we're rolling up on this guy, we're going slow. He doesn't acknowledge us at all. He's just shuffling his feet forward. His eyes are straight ahead. He's just completely ambivalent to us being there. I get up maybe about two or three feet away from him and roll my window down. The first thing I notice is that he's not Inuit. He's Caucasian. He's definitely not a local lost villager. He could be an oil field worker. He could be a tourist that has gotten lost. I don't know how that would have ever possibly happened. It definitely threw us off at that point that he was not a local. So I get my window rolled down. I'm asking him if he needs help. Hey, are you okay? Are you all right? He doesn't acknowledge us. He just keeps shuffling forward, doesn't turn his face. His eyes are completely devoid of any kind of thought or emotion. He's just walking forward, he's just shuffling. The guy in the passenger seat, my buddy, he's like, well, you know, maybe he was in an accident, he's in shock. He didn't look injured, but he was definitely in a trance or something. And he was just shuffling forward. If he wasn't shuffling forward, he would have been catatonic. He was dead to the outside world. We continue to kind of roll our truck alongside him and he's just trudging down the road. We're just trying to work on getting his attention. You know, we're just talking to him and trying to get him to acknowledge that we're there. Why are you here? As we're talking to him in this extreme cold, I keep getting these whiffs of a smell coming off him. It's really peculiar. It smells kind of like acidic garlic. It's not like anything I've ever smelled before. And that kind of made the hair on my neck stand up just because he just smelled so strange. In that kind of cold, you don't really smell things anyway. It was just kind of very weird. We keep trying to talk to this guy. We keep trying to get his attention. Do we jump out and do we just physically put him in our truck to take him to the guard shack? We can't just leave this guy out here. 
Maybe we should pull in front of him and see if we can stop him physically with the truck. Maybe we should just get out and see if we can help him in any way. One of my coworkers that was sitting behind me, he said he'd had enough of this. He rolled down his window and he reaches out of the cab to grab the guy. And what he wanted to do was shake his shoulder, you know, and kind of see if he could wake him up out of his stupor. But before my coworker's hand could even reach this guy, this guy just spins around and latches onto my buddy's outstretched arm, just grabs it right at the wrist and just squeezes it. You could hear tendons popping and stuff. That's almost like he had eyes in the back of his head. He knew exactly where his wrist was. He flipped around, just grabbed right onto it. And he's staring him dead in the eyes, just glaring at my coworker. And then he turns his gaze to me and it's the same just hateful gaze looking at me. And he's just clenching onto my crewmate's wrist tighter and tighter and tighter. I can hear my buddy like groaning like he's trying to get his arm free from this guy and he just he can't pull his, his arm away. And then he just started screaming. It was primal. Unearthly. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. He was just mad. There was just so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. He's just screaming in our faces. I slammed on the gas of the truck. We spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels finally caught and shot us forward. He's running alongside the truck. As we're picking up speed and going faster, this guy still has a hold of my buddy's arm and he's trying to pull him out of the truck. It took the other two guys in the truck holding on to him to keep him inside that, that cab of the truck. Eventually, he was able to kind of break free of this guy's grasp. And we just hauled as fast as we could all the way to the guard shack about another 30 miles down the road. One of the guys suggested maybe we should go back and, and double check on this guy, which was immediately shut down. We were all like, no, there's no way we're going back there. We just kind of all sat in silence until we got to the guard shack. It should have taken us about an hour and a half. I think it took us maybe 30 minutes. We were going way too fast for those road conditions, but we were scared out of our minds. We get to the guard shack. We probably looked like pretty bad. We looked probably pretty scared. I, I could say the guards were looking at us a little weird because I'm sure they haven't seen a lot of people like that come in and that disheveled, I guess. There's a guy out there, we don't know. He might be lost, he might be hurt. We had to get out of there. We couldn't get him into the truck or we couldn't help him. We're just reporting it. The guards didn't take us seriously. They were looking at us really skeptical, like we were pulling a prank or something. My buddy that had his hand grabbed, he pulls back his coat sleeve and he's just got the biggest black bruise around his wrist in the shape of a hand. By policy, they have to go check this out. Whether it's a prank or not, they have to go make sure that there's nobody out there. There wasn't really much more we could do, so 
the guards just sent us on our way, so we went back to the main camp and got ready to go home the next day. After our break and we came back to work, I ended up running into that same guard again at the cafeteria. And I was asking, like, hey, did you guys ever look into that guy that was out on the ice? And he kind of laughed for a second. He was like, yeah, that was a really good joke. You guys had us going. I took up a solid 12-hour shift just looking for this guy going up and down this road. We didn't find any tracks leading to or from the road. We didn't find snowmobiles. We didn't find any vehicles. We didn't find anything. It was good. I'm glad that you guys made me waste a shift just driving around. It wasn't a prank for us. There was really somebody out there. And I don't know who that guy was, if he was a guy. The first couple days after it happened, I remember joking with the guys that were in the truck. I'm like, did we just run into the devil? Did we just run into like a demon or something? The rational side of me, the only thing I can think of is that he must have gotten lost from maybe some sort of work camp that was out there, maybe another drilling rig. There was only two rigs running at that time. When the guards checked everything and there were no tracks leading to and from the ice roads and there was nobody reported missing from the camps, if this guy had disappeared from one of those construction sites, we would have known about it within at least a shift. Nobody was ever reported missing from them. It's a total mystery to me, even to this day, and, and nobody has been able to really pull all that together. I consider myself naturally skeptical of a lot of stories that people will tell, but I will go to my grave wondering where that guy came from, what that was all about. There's no reason that guy should have been there. There's no reason we should have come up on him. None of it makes sense, and I don't think it ever will. It's just one of those mysteries I have in my life that is just going to haunt me forever. Ha ha ha, terrifying. Woo. And the second to last story of the year. That's even scarier. Let's take a break for some ads. Maybe my resolution could be to have fewer ads. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. And we're back. Okay, we've got a couple of New Year's resolutions here ready to share. Malachi doesn't have opposable thumbs, so I've written his resolutions for him. Malachi's resolutions are to get off the stuff. Meaning, of course, his addiction to pumpkin spice lattes. Good luck with that, Malachi. His other resolution is to be nicer to Daddy. And I'm looking forward to that. Thank you very much. No, that is your resolution, and I won't hear otherwise. I don't care if you didn't say that. You meant it. And the other day, you peed on me out of spite. Have you ever smelled cat piss before? I won't be having that kind of energy in 2024. Okay, so that's settled. Now, take the resolution and cast it into the void. Cast it away into the void. Go on. Go on. Good boy. The mouse's resolution is simply crumbs. Hmm. Okay. So I don't think there's very much going on up there. Godspeed, mouse. I hope you achieve crumbs in 2024. And here it goes into the void. Well, that leaves two of us. We'll noodle on these resolutions while you listen to another story. Here we go. Let's pop it in. wanted to really go and find myself. And maybe finding myself meant not in my hometown. So I decided to look at other places to do my first full year of teaching. And so I saw this opportunity to teach in England. I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to figure out what grade level I want to teach. I'm going to figure out who I am as a teacher and as a person, and I'm going to be able to travel all over the world. The company that recruited me recruits mostly Canadians. I was like, great, so we're going to get you this townhouse. Since we have to get you home, we have to have roommates. One was from Poland. One was from New Jersey. And then one from New York. I thought, wonderful, they sounded like fun ladies that I'd be interested in hanging out with. You know, it was gonna be a great experience. Well, one of my roommates, Jerry from New Jersey, was not the most stable person. Clearly was having drinking issues, having dudes in her house that we did not know. It got to the point where I was just getting really frustrated because all these strange men were coming into my home. I was stressed out. She was borrowing money from me, and I was just so frustrated. I had used to go on trips with her. She had no money, and she still owed me money. She wasn't paying her bills. It was not a nice roommate situation. And so I went off to Ireland without her with my friends. She was upset that I didn't invite her. 
but I didn't invite her because she didn't have the cash because I knew she owed me money still. If you owe me money, I'm not going to invite you somewhere where you have to spend money. When I came home from Ireland, I was greeted by two strange men, drunk at my kitchen room table. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And where is Cherry? What's going on? They were too drunk to even answer me properly. She's nowhere to be seen, and there's these two men in my house. They let out like something. She's passed out somewhere. So I go upstairs to her room. I knock on the door, open it. She is passed out in bed. What are you doing? There's these two strange men here. You got to get them out of the house. They're down there wasted and you're here sleeping and you knew I was coming home. You have to get rid of these men. Are you going to be paying attention to them? They're your guests. You got to get rid of them. She lost it on me. She screamed at me. I said to her that she's too messy. I'm tired of cleaning up her messes and taking care of her. I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to find somewhere else to live. Like, I can't be put in these positions anymore. And it was a full bad fallout. I go downstairs and I lose it on these guys. I said, like, you need to get out of this house right now. Like, when she was passed out, you should have left. Get out of here. They leave. The week goes by and it's awkward. We're avoiding each other. I'm sitting in my nightie in my pajamas. I'm all in bed and I'm cozied up and I have books just all around me laid out by grade levels and I'm marking them. So I'm very focused. All of a sudden, I feel energy. It was just so heavy. I just look up. There's this guy in a blue polo shirt and he looks disheveled and he's standing there staring at me. I remember feeling annoyed. Oh, Cherry's not here. This is the wrong room. I was going back to marking and I'm realizing he's not leaving and I'm getting mad. Cherry's room is downstairs. You need to go downstairs and leave me alone. I'm busy. And he looked me in the eyes. And I was like, oh, I know this guy. I think I know this guy. Do I know this guy? I scanned down. And that's when I see a knife and a bottle of Prosecco. What the hell is that? And he just said, I didn't come for Cherry. And I knew what was about to happen. Is this what every woman is prepared for? That moment where they're gonna have to like find their way out of a bad situation like this? It just got really real. I was hyper aware of the little amount of clothes I had on, that I was in my room in my bed, completely vulnerable. I was like, okay, God, I gotta get my shit together here. This guy has a knife. He's either going to do some very bad things to me and then leave, 
or he's going to do very bad things to me and then I'm not going to be alive anymore. So how do I get out of this situation? I need to get out of bed, I need to get out of this room, and I need to get downstairs. I'm panicking, thinking, how am I going to get downstairs without this man doing all kinds of other things that could happen in this situation? When I'm looking him in the eyes, I'm seeing that this guy's on drugs because his eyes were black. So maybe I can play to that. I know that I got to keep him calm, and if he's on something, maybe I can convince him I'm into it. So I was like, well, what are you going to do without Prosecco? And he's like, oh, I want to drink it. We're going to party. We're having a good time. I was like, okay, God, this is terrible. So he uses, like, the knife to try to awkwardly open it, and he's going at it. And I'm like, I could go right now. Then he has the knife at my head level. Once he finally gets it open awkwardly, it starts pouring onto the carpet. I was like, oh my gosh, my clean carpet. We can't ruin my carpet. We got to clean that up. We got to get downstairs. You want to have a proper cheers, right? And he just was like, oh yeah, you're a real proper bird. You're a real proper fancy bird. You need to drink out of a proper glass. Yeah, we got to drink out a proper flute. Let's go downstairs. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going downstairs. Okay, perfect. I'm on the third floor, so I got to get down three floors. Just halfway past the first floor, and I was like, this is the longest walk down a set of stairs in my entire life. He has a grip of my nightie in the back, and he has it fisted in the back of his hand, and I could feel that edge of the knife okay, you can't focus on that knife. You have to focus on getting downstairs and get him distracted for just a moment. Gotta get him into the kitchen so I can get some distance in between us. Get the dining room table, get the coffee table, get something in between us so he has to go around something and gives me a little bit more time. We get into the kitchen... I see that he is going towards my glass cabinet. He knew where the glasses were, and that's when it clicked. That's the guy that was here that I kicked out of the house. Why is he here? What is going on? So as soon as he went to go grab the cabinet to open the glass, the table is in between us. His hands are busy. He put the knife down. It's time to run. That's when I booked her down the hallway. And it was the longest run of my life. I could hear him. I could hear the sound of the footsteps running against the carpet get louder. I just didn't want to turn around and look and waste any time. I didn't want to know how close he was because I didn't want to have a moment where I felt like it's it and give up. We had a finicky door. I was praying that the door wasn't locked, that he came in through the front door, because if it was locked, it's going to be very hard for me to get out that front door. But it wasn't locked, so I knew he got in with a key. So I burst out the door, and I'm screaming, help, help, help. Please, there's somebody in my house. Help me. 
I hear him running behind me. There's a train station right across from where I lived. Usually people would walk down the trail and they'd walk past our home. It was a pretty busy street during the day. There's these two guys, they're walking down the path, walking towards me. They started running as soon as I slammed the door open and was screaming for help. All of a sudden, there's this massive force right under my rib cage. And I just go flying over the side of this brick railing. I fall flat on my face. I have no idea what's going on because I'm totally like caught off guard. One lad comes to me, he helps me up, grab me, asks me if I was okay. I was like, oh my God, this guy, this, that, this, this just happened. He was like, well, he just booked her that way. My man's gonna go look for him and see if he can get like what he looks like. Like we'll be witnesses for you, but you need to get in the house. I'm gonna do a scan. You need to check all the windows and the doors to make sure they're locked and you need to call the police. Get back in the house, call the police lock the doors, make sure everything's locked. I'm going to do a sweep around the house. I get on the phone. I'm giving her the information. And I hear this banging noise. And I was like, oh, the police are already here? New. No, the police are not here. I was like, what? And I look out the third floor window. And he is screaming, you bitch, you let me in that house. I'm not done with you. Both fists banging on the door. And I yelled, I called the police on you, man. You need to get out of here. What are you doing? I called the cops. Fuck you, you stupid bitch. You are nothing but a tease. And I was so shocked. I cannot believe he's back. I'm freaking out. And then that's when I heard the sirens. The guy heard the sirens. He went and booked her. One of the officers went and chased after him. One of the other lads stayed back and talked to the police officer. They take their evidence. They collect all the stuff that they need to collect. I get back into the house. The police officer, he's like, do you have somewhere to go tonight? The guy got out of our grasp. I said, yeah, I have some friends. I did not sleep that night, but I was called at five in the morning to go in. They did eventually find him. They put me in this tiny little room and they showed me the evidence. They had pictures that he had taken from my house prior and collections of things that he had gathered. He had my underwear, he had some socks, and he had a picture of me and my brother together. I'm assuming he thought my brother might have been a past love interest or something, so he had his face cut out. They found out that this man had made a nest, essentially. There was like a hill that looked down, and my dining room and living room, the whole wall was essentially a window. So he had made a nest at the top of the hill and was just casing our place. And they suspect that it was a couple of months, six months of him being interested in me, but about three months of like casing the place and making a nest. 
That's when he looked at me and he said, you know, other women have not been as lucky as you have. When you were describing the man, he said, I had a fear that it was this person that you were describing. It sounded very similar to a person we've had many run-ins in the past. I'm letting you know now, whatever intuition you had that made you play along, you got to count your blessings because other women have not been so lucky. This is not his first offense. This will put him away, but um, he is a known sexual assaulter. He did say, well, it all started at a night at the pub. I had dropped my wallet when I was in the process of buying a drink. I went to go pick up my wallet. And at the same time, said man, he saw it drop, he was gonna grab it for me. Our hands touched, we made eye contact, and that was the love story that he had created in his mind. Then he orchestrated trying to talk to me. I didn't talk to him back. When he realized who my roommate was, then he weaseled his way in with her. She was just an easy target to get into the house. And when she had passed out, that's when him and his buddy went through our things. This guy was stealing to gather information and he actually stole one of our spare keys. That's how we got in the house. I just think I got really lucky. Yeah, I had made a good plan with playing along, but I also think it was just big, 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 big luck that got me out of that situation. I feel for the other women who were not successful in getting hurt by him. Now here's another ad. The last ad break of the season, actually. (laughs) I think I might cry. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, here it is, folks, the bitter, bitter end. Susie has decided that her resolution is to move out of Uncle Terry's shop. And what a relief, a loss, loss, what a real loss that is. We would all miss you so much, Susie Q. And every time I see a spontaneous trash fire, 
I will think of the good times we spent together. And I hope you will come back and visit us and giggle maniacally whenever you can. Just call first and I'll make sure I'm conveniently on vacation. Into the void it goes. And finally, my 2024 resolution. I resolve to consume more healthy fats and omega-3 fatty acids, less processed sugar. I also resolve to begin writing my memoir, Pale Carnation. Or, Terry, are you there? It's me, Terry. Or maybe a carnation for Algernon. Or spare. Anyways, finally, I promise to return in the spring with a new box of tapes from my collection. And I know you're all incredibly picky. Don't think I don't know. But I will do my very best to bring you even scarier stories told by even realer people. And with that, I cast these resolutions, written on a CVS receipt the length of my leg, into the void. Be gone, ye! Well, my dearest admirers, have a happy holiday and a safe yet spooky new year. And I'll see you all on the other side. <laughs> Terry out. I hope no one dies in 2024. Radio Rental is created by Payne Lindsay and brought to you by Tenderfoot TV. Lead producer is Eric Quintana. Executive producers are Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright. Hosted by Rain Wilson as his character, Terry Carnation. Written and produced by Meredith Stedman. Additional writing by Mark Lachlan. Supervising producer is Tracy Kaplan. Associate producer is Jaja Muhammad. Editing by Eric Quintana, Mike Rooney, and Meredith Stedman. Sound design, mix, and master by Cooper Skinner. Additional sound design and mixing by Devin Johnson. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Video editing by Dylan Harrington. Cover artwork by Trevor Eiler and Rob Sheridan. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and the team at UTA, The Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, and the team at Odyssey. If you have a radio rental story that you'd like to share, please email us at yourscarystory at gmail.com or contact us via the form on our website, radiorentalusa.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Rental. You can also follow the illustrious Terry Carnation on social media. Just search at Terry Carnation. On behalf of the Radio Rental store, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University of Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. 
So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.